reading this morning can be found in Psalm 8 and found on page 539 on the Bibles in front of you. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the prayers of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's a delight to be in church together, so I hope you've experienced um, a, a warm experience already. And if you're new amongst us, First time or first time in a long time, I really hope you've been made to feel welcome. It's lovely to have you with us. Uh, just to let you know that our Senior Minister Bruce is at Norfolk Island um, today. He's visiting our mission partners, Dave and Crystal Fell, and preaching at their church and, uh, and working there on kind of the plans for the next stage of our church life. So that's why he's not with us, and I'm praying that he's a blessing to Norfolk Island and the Fells in particular. Now, Andrew's already prayed. I'm assuming you've got Psalm 8 open in front of you, so we may as well start. And look, I just think that you need to go to the zoo. And I mean you, without the kids or the grandkids. Okay, just stick them in the corner with an iPad. They'll be fine. You go to the zoo and just gaze and stare because the extraordinary is ordinary at the zoo. I mean, amazing stuff is everywhere. Have you, for example, ever watched the way a giraffe walks? I mean, how can it possibly be so clunky and yet graceful at the same time? And yet it is. I remember the last time I went to the zoo, it was actually a while ago, and I just watched the rhino, the rhinoceros, for ages with its powerful shoulders and its sort of leathery skin and elongated head and I watched it walk around for a very long time and as I stared into its large black eyes I thought I am watching something prehistoric as well as powerful here and so you need to go to the zoo without the kids and just gaze at prehistory and power and just the wonder of all that God has placed on this planet because at the zoo the extraordinary is ordinary. If you're a uh, swimmer or a surfer here, or even just a beachfront walker, you see amazing things that God has created every day, don't you? So you don't have to go very far. But then if you do go very far, uh, you realise again, whether it's snow-capped mountains or, or lush rainforests or silent empty deserts or Uh, perfect tropical archipelagos, that the extraordinary is ordinary amongst all that God has made. And friends, that is just our planet. That's not even to speak of the rest of the universe. God is a God who creates. 
Now today we're continuing in our series, uh, as Andrew has said, on the Believer's Guide to God. Last week we thought about God as He really is, an eternally unified community of three people, Father, Son and Spirit. And that's just who He is. That's before we even get to what He does. But today we're going to think about what He does, start that journey by thinking about the God who creates. And can I just say that the doctrine of creation has got a lot to say to us as urbane, sophisticated, independent residents of the northern beaches of Sydney. But I'm not going to give that away just yet. So stay tuned as we think about the God who creates, springboarding from Psalm chapter 8. And friends, I think you'll find that the first thing we see from Psalm chapter 8, as well as elsewhere, is that God creates all things, and that means he is our object of worship. He made everything, including us, and it's wonderful. Now, don't you see that from the opening lines of Psalm 8 that were so skillfully read to us by Susan? Read along with me. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens Through the praises of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemy to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. You see, he's created all things, however he did it, and they resound to his glory. In all the earth, his creation rings out his majesty, and in the heavens, the skies above us, his glory is set forth, even from the meekest among us, from children and infants, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, as the old versions used to say, they speak of our wonderful creator. It's a fellow called Charles Spurgeon, whose nickname was the Prince of Breaches, This is what he says. In the sky, the massive orbs rolling in their stupendous grandeur are witnesses of God's power in great things, while here below, the lisping utterances of babes are the manifestations of his strength in little ones. O Lord, our Lord. Uh, On Tuesday or Wednesday, it was, you know, when all the leadership stuff was going on, Uh, Our local paper ran a story that was gleefully entitled, Gullibility Eroded, Why a Generation Chose Science Over God. Uh, Apparently that generation just cannot hold two complex thoughts in tension, uh, but had to choose one over the other. And it was a a profile on Professor, Professor Michael Archer. He's an American biologist at the University of New South Wales. And he has tracked, it says, a decline in belief in God's involvement in this world amongst the first year students in his class on evolution over the past 30 years. Now that to me sounds like a representative sample, doesn't it? <laughs> but don't you reckon? I mean, I just think the whole discussion about whether God exists whether he's responsible in some way for the exquisite uh, wonder of the created world and humanity. I just think it takes place in the wrong setting. I mean, I just think it shouldn't happen in a cold lecture theatre or a debating hall. I think it should happen as you look at a, a night sky on a dark and cloudless evening. I think it should happen while you walk through a ravine as sheer and towering cliffs on either side threaten to squash you between themselves. I think it should happen in a hospital nursery where tiny pink hands wrap around your little finger. How can you speak against the glory of God in all of creation when you smell a freshly bathed newborn baby? You can't. 
And so the enemy is embarrassed. And Psalm 8 says, the foe is silenced by such foolish talk. Now, it's not only true that God is, uh, that everything God created is glorious. Um, it's actually also true that because he is the original creator, it means he's creative unlike anyone and anything else. Uh, you think about everything else that we make. We take pre-existing materials, earth, wood, metal, colour, words, thoughts, ideas, food, whatever it is, and we reshape these raw materials into things of splendour and beauty and use. But God created all things by his powerful word. Now, you don't get that from Psalm 8, which talks about God's fingers and his hands flinging great planets into their orbits or fashioning the wild beasts. But God is spirit. That means he doesn't have hands. And so Psalm 8 is just poetically, it's a poetic device. But he does have breath and speech. And he created all things from nothing. The technical term is ex nihilo, from nothing, bringing them into existence by his powerful word and spirit. You remember of your Bibles, page 1, Genesis 1 verse 2, the spirit of God hovering over the chaotic waters before he gave them shape and limitations at the very beginning of Genesis. You remember him barking out the instruction, let there be light and land and living things, and there were. So just as our breath is to our speech, you try talking when you've stopped breathing. Just as our breath is to our speech, so is God's spirit to his word, which combine in powerful synchrony to bring forth the created world. And actually, that's a really useful way of thinking about it. Just as our breath is to our speech, so is God's spirit to his word in bringing things to life. Spirit and word in work together, creating an extraordinary cosmos ex nihilo, from nothing. So friends, can I tell you what this means for us? It elevates God above us, even though we are creative beings too. Because we really just mess about with stuff that he's already made. It elevates him above all created things. Just as John Dixon said in week one of the Doubter's Guide series, God is outside of creation. He made it all from nothing, which means he is beyond and above all things. That means he is the only object, the only legitimate object of true worship. And as his creatures, we not only enjoy his creation, we not only you know, express gratitude for it, but it means we worship him alone. We do not make the stupid mistake of worshipping either what his hands have made or our hands have made. Why would we do that when we can worship him? He alone is the true object of devotion and worship. So when you see a newborn baby or a powerful rhinoceros or a magnificent ravine, or a stunning night sky, or you enjoy a fine glass of red wine, or a mouth-watering piece of blue cheese, or you hear a stunning piece of music, or whatever it is, we give thanks to God and worship Him. We enjoy the sight, we express our gratitude to Him. We savour the taste, and we praise Him. We delight in the sound, then we sound our delight in God who made everything possible, and we marvel that we might even have a relationship with one as amazing as him. 
He created all things, including us, by his powerful word from nothing that elevates him above us creatures and indeed all things so that he alone is our object of worship. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, that's the first thing we see. Uh, Secondly, today, we see that God has put us in charge of his creation to cultivate it, to cultivate it. And as God's cultivators, he alone is our source of authority. So God has not only made this wonderful creation, he's actually honoured us uh, and entrusted the care of it and its cultivation to us. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the work of cultivation is really the work that we all do. Um, to cultivate, it's a, just an idea that means to help nurture something, to help make it grow. And the underlying meaning of cultivation is to adapt a wild plant or unclaimed land to the environment. Okay, it's got that basic kind of horticultural, um, agricultural, gardening meaning. But what I discovered this week is that the idea of cultivation applies to lots of other things other than plants. For example... There are officially three kinds of Australian accents. There is the general Australian accent, which is the one most of us use here. And this is typified by someone like Hugh Jackman. Okay, of course it is, Hugh Jackman. I mean, he can't do anything wrong, can he, Hugh? He can sing, he can dance, he can act, he can host the Oscars, he can can look incredibly buff, all the while seeming like he's as grounded as your next-door neighbour. In fact, he might just be your next-door neighbour. You wouldn't be surprised, would you? But uh, in addition to the general Australian accent, there is the broad Australian accent. And uh, according to Wikipedia, this accent is typified by people like Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, and Julia Gillard. I don't know why you're laughing at that. But they did it at the other service as well. Now, these speakers, they, um, they tend to combine syllables, Australia, and uh, they speak more slowly and exhibit pervasive nasality. That just means they talk through their nose. I, I wonder like, whether this is seriously why Julia Gillard didn't go so well as PM. We basically thought she was Steve Irwin in a business suit. And we just you know, subconsciously felt uneasy about it all. Then again, you don't have to do too much wrong to get uh, axed as Prime Minister, do you? Oh, too soon? Yeah, right. So, you know, this week, earlier in the week, I got a special edition Peter Dutton haircut. (laughs) That was too soon, wasn't it? (laughs) All right, the last Australian accent, I digress. The last Australian accent is called the cultivated accent. The cultivated accent. And it sounds posher, and it might indicate a higher social class and education. And it is typified by people like... Kate Blanchett. And if you know Kate Blanchett, she always speaks so well. She does not combine syllables or speak through her nose, and that takes effort and work because you need to take the raw materials of Australian accents, thank you, Hugh and Julia, and then open your mouth and pronounce all the letters. It requires one to take the raw letters and help them grow into proper words. Now, that's cultivation. And Kate Blanchett is a master of doing that with the Australian accent. Now, back in uh, back in Psalm eight, back in Psalm eight, 
and indeed in Genesis as well. The original creator God, he wants us to cultivate and care for the world and the raw materials that he made. Now let's have a look and let's track this from Psalm 8. Read along with me from verse 3. When I consider your heavens, says the writer, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor, but, but you have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You, you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, and so on and so on. You see, the psalmist there, he's talking about cultivation. He says, you, God, you set those planets in place, and yet you look upon us humans, and you make us rulers over the works of your hands, over all that you've made on this world. Now, that's our basic job in relation to God's creation. We are tasked with ruling it, caring for it, nurturing it, making it grow well. We are supposed to be cultivators, taking what God has made in all its forms and making it thrive. And it's the very essence of all our work, whether it's paid or unpaid or voluntary, whether it's at the office, on the the job site, in the hospital, in the home. And it is a form of creativity, even if you don't think of your work as typically creative, because in one form or another, what you're doing is you are taking raw materials of some kind and you are fostering their growth and as you can see from psalm 8 this means or this elevates us above all other plants and animals special position now apparently we share 50 percent of the dna of bananas 80 percent of the dna of mice and 98 percent of the dna of chimpanzees so what are we Half banana, mostly mouse, or just a slightly better form of chimp. And I know what some of you ladies are doing. You're thinking about your husbands and going, hard to narrow it down to just one. (laughs) Do I really have to choose? Of course, the answer is none. Human beings quite a unique creature within the created order. And our creator has elevated us above the rest of the animal world, making us just a little lower than the angels in terms of our status and kind of gravity, placing us here upon the earth to cultivate the creation that God has made. And we should be honoured by this because it's a task that is given to no other created thing. And we ought to be humbled by this just as the psalmist is in Psalm 8. What is mankind that you think of them, that you're mindful of us? Friends, here's the trick as I see it. Many of mankind, perhaps us, in day-to-day life carry on with this task of cultivation as though we're elevated above the animals but subject to no one. That we're independent curators of the world that God has made and the life he has given to us. That we are self-sufficient, independent, autonomous, nobody tells us what to do. Could there be anyone in Manly who thinks they're self-sufficient, independent, autonomous who no one tells them what to do come on we are all like that have you seen the way we drive what a foolish mistake that is to make as god's cultivators we are above the animals but we are still subject to our creator 
as God's creatures, the creator is our object of worship, but as God's cultivators, the creator is our source of authority and we remain subject to him. He is our frame of reference. We are answerable to him, so we listen to and we carry out his instructions. That means when we hear his scriptures read or taught or we read them ourselves uh, or we um, toss them back and forth, in our small group to which we're newly committed because we understand that God in his essence is all about community. However we hear the words of God, we don't just keep them in mind. We don't just chuck them in the mix. We put them into practice. The word of God which so powerfully formed our universe from nothing also informs our cultivating work. It steers our creativity, because this side of the fall, with the presence of sin and evil in our world and in our hearts, the truth is we can use our cultivation and our creativity for good, and we can also use it for evil, can't we? Hesitated about showing this because it's kind of gruesome, but actually it's, it's a great metaphor, isn't it? God creates, however he does it, something as majestic as the rhinoceros, And human beings do that because they might be able to sell an ornament. We create an airplane, wonderful. Uh, And then we can strap bombs to it and uh, drop them on our enemies. Uh, We can seize business opportunities, which is a fantastic thing to do. And then we can screw over our employees or our suppliers or our customers. We can raise a child and cripple him with criticism or really stunt her with neglect. And so we absolutely must willingly remain under the authority of the Creator as we carry out our creative and cultivating work. We absolutely must continue to listen to His voice in Scripture as we go about our work. We cannot ignore God as we carry out our God-given tasks of ruling this order. Now, when we create and when we cultivate There is a spark of the divine within us, but without his ongoing instruction and input in our lives, that spark can turn devilish. And so as his creatures, he is our object of worship and devotion. But as his cultivators, he is our source of authority and instruction. And I reckon that's why the psalm both starts and ends, so that we don't forget with that simple refrain, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, if you have a look at that, there's a, uh, there's a parallelism, a parallel, sound like Barnaby Joyce trying to get the word priority out. There's a parallelism to what we've already seen today. I want to finish with something that is unparalleled, and that is God's new creations. I, uh, I want to get through that. I want to uh, ask one final question. Has God finished his work of creation? I mean, if you were lining Psalm 8 up with the rest of the Bible, I think it finishes basically on page 2, doesn't it? Genesis chapter 2, where God rested on the seventh day from all his creative work. Now, my question is, does the God who creates still create and friends, I think if you open your New Testaments to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there are some beautiful words. I've got them up here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. 
Friends, if you've turned and trusted in Jesus, do you think of yourself as a new creation? I suspect you don't. Do you think that God has done a great new work in your soul and in your life, remaking you, spiritually speaking? I mean, you've been forgiven, yes. You've been reconciled to God, sure. Redeemed from the forces of sin and death, certainly spared from God's judgment without question. But also, God speaks of his saving of us as though we are new creations in Christ. You you might look the same on the outside. In fact, I'm sure you do. But you're a new person with a new purpose, new affections, new hope, new joy, a new resident in your soul by the name of the Holy Spirit, and a new task of sharing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ with a world which is in desperate need of it, though it often doesn't realise it. Don't you reckon that's one of the great attractions of the Christian faith? God makes us anew, rebuilding us from the inside out, new creations in Christ Jesus if we trust in his perfect son. I'm not 100% sure about this, but I suspect that's more remarkable than planets and suns and moons. And you know what? He doesn't even stop there. If we turn to the second last page of our Bibles, Revelation 21, our Bibles finish with these wonderful words of promise in verses 1 to 5. Then I saw, says the Apostle John, a new heavens and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, there's a hint, that's God, said, I am making everything new. I think it's uh, exactly a hundred years ago this week. A Catholic church was built in a classic European style that's typical in Germany. None of that is at all surprising until you discover that it was built in the middle of the Kimberley in northwest Australia, about 150 kilometres inland from Broome, in the middle of the outback. It's been described as a slice of Germany in Australia's far northwest. It's been described as like a Doctor's Who TARDIS on Mars, a glorious anomaly. Beautiful building with an intriguing backstory. It was built by Germans about 100 years ago who'd been arrested in, in that part of Australia at the outbreak of World War I. And what they did, you see, is they just dropped the old into a completely new situation. So, of course, it remained striking, but it's really rather strange. You know, where we are headed, folks, when we rise from our own physical death and inherit our glorious resurrection bodies is different enough a landscape that it requires God to fashion out a new heavens and earth. He will not just drop the old creation into a new situation, for he has promised to make everything new. He's making us spiritually and morally new, beautified. As his church, we're depicted as the bride of Christ, beautifully dressed and adorned. 
He's giving us new resurrection bodies, not wispy spirits, but these bodies will not cry and they will not ache and they will not die. He will renew our relationship with Him so that we will be with Him and love Him in a way that we haven't done before. And all of this, a rekindled spirit, a resurrected body, and a renewed relationship with God will all take place in a recreated environment, a new heaven and a new earth that suits the new situation. My goodness, won't that be a day? You wouldn't want to miss out on that, would you? And so as stunning as the northern beaches are, they're just a shadow of the coming wonder. As majestic as the alpine ranges are, they won't really compare. And even, I mean, even as perfect as a newborn baby, I don't think even they will come close. Can you imagine it? Difficult. And so I trust that this hope of God's new creation, creation 2.0, an upgrade, however you want to think about it, I hope it pushes us all on in faith and perseverance. And also that it gives us contentment right now because ultimately it doesn't matter if you never see Italy. You never go to New York City or see the Northern Lights or if you don't get married or um, even if you don't have children or grandchildren Though all those desires are legitimate, if this is the future that awaits those who trust in Christ Jesus. God created all things, that includes us, by his powerful word and friends, I think you would agree, the extraordinary is ordinary on this planet. So as his creatures, we worship him. Strikingly, he entrusts us to cultivate his creation what a privilege so as his cultivators we listen to him but friends he is making all things new and has even made us into new creations should we trust in christ so trust in christ and push on and remain content and wait expectantly a glorious future lies ahead but only because we worship a god who creates let's pray to him now dear heavenly father I want to thank you for your wonderful creation that we enjoy so much in this neck of the woods really is lovely prevent us from worshiping it what you have made or even dumber still the things that we make with our own hands when when you alone are the object of true worship and as your cultivators we're um, honored and humbled Continue to humble us so that we don't try to carry on our work of cultivation uh, with ignorance or indifference to your instruction. Let us listen to your word and put it into practice. And Lord, whatever situation we are in right now, I pray that the hope of a glorious future where you make all things new might push us on in contentment and eager expectation. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Uh, friends, we're going to uh, finish our time together with a song, which is what we normally do. During the song, little collection bags are going to come around. If you're a regular, you know what to do with them. And if you've got a Connect card that you've filled out, I would love it if you could slot it in one of those bags on the way around. Let's stand and sing.
Savior. Because Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Everyone needs compassion. Because everyone needs compassion. A love that's never failing. Mercy fall on me Cause everyone needs forgiveness The kindness of a Savior The hope of nations Sing Savior Savior, He can move the mountains my God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Everything I believe in, now I surrender. I surrender. We seek Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. God is mighty 
read that verse that Scott closed off with. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Let's pray. Father, we just pray you would help us to capture that sense of wonder of who you are and what you have made. Lord, we pray you would help us to cultivate, Lord, this world in which we live in under your authority. We are not the creator, but you are. And Lord, may we cultivate it in our businesses, in our relationships, in our gardens, and in our conduct. You as you would want them to be. And Father, we thank you that in Jesus, you make all things new. And you have made us new, a new creation in him. And we worship you for that. Amen. Over to your right, there'll be some people here for prayer. If you want to be made new in Christ, please come and speak to some guys down here. Come and speak to Scott, someone. I pray you have a great week. Um, the kids are out there to be collected and uh, come and stay around for a bit of tea and coffee and talk about these things new things and if you're hurting come and pray God will wipe away every tear maybe not now but in the future let's have a grand panorama of what is going to happen coming forward to us thank you Amen